Hey y'all, I'm Anna Segura. And I'm Kendall Barger. And you're listening to Intuitive Adulting. Our mission is to equip you with the intuitive tools you need to explore things like your inner child, higher purpose, and spirituality, while also navigating adulty things like your annoying boss, grocery lists, and dirty laundry. Your life doesn't have to be filled with I should or I have to. Fill it up with I dream and I want to, and then make it happen with intuitive adulting. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome, y'all, to the Intuitive Adulting Podcast. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different, and we're excited to share with you some really inspiring and hopeful passages that we are using in this season and we hope can be helpful to you, too. So, Kendall, you want to talk a little bit about what it is we're doing here today? Yeah, so when we met a few days ago to kind of plan out our next few weeks of content, Right now, for context, it's the middle of October in 2020, and in the United States, we are heading into our presidential election, and really, it's already going on because we've got early voting, and we've got debates, and all this kind of stuff, and honestly, this election feels like it started forever ago, so we're just, there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot going on in the world, and not that we don't love our Enneagram and Tarot series, and we don't see benefit from it. But it just didn't feel like we wanted to talk about it right now. (laughs) And also at the same time, too, we wanted to honor the type structures that we still have left to do. And we didn't want to drop those episodes like in the middle of a big question mark time in this country's history. So we are going to finish that series for sure. But for right now, we're taking a beat. And I think this is really part of intuitive adulting as well, like as a concept and as a way that we're navigating life, like It doesn't work to ignore what's going on in the outside, and we just can't. So there's so much going on right now, and people are experiencing it in such a spectrum of ways. There's lots of amazing things happening in people's lives, but there's also a lot of struggles and emotions and difficulties, and we're still in a global pandemic, even though it seems like some people have forgotten that. And there's just so much going on, and we really wanted to be able to show up with something that could offer a little bit of hope, a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of acceptance, a little bit of space for anyone out there that that needs any of that. There might be someone out there that just really wants to celebrate an accomplishment that you've made, even though there's so much craziness going on in the world. And that's awesome. There's people out there, myself included, who are navigating a lot of just mental health situations right now and need some support, need some space, need some inspiration. And I think all of us could use some motivation and hope for what this future might bring. So this idea started as we were calling it just like a poetry slam, like we were going to bring some, you know, really awesome inspirational poetry. I've brought none poetry. I have no poetry for you, but Anna has some poetry. So it is sort of a poetry slam, but I brought some essays. So basically we have, we have five readings in total for you and some are going to be like really short and sweet and some are going to be a little bit more in depth. And so we're going to take turns sharing our passage that we've picked because it contains some sort of lesson or message or inspiration that we think is going to be really helpful and empowering for us with whatever you've got navigating in particular right now in this time in 2020. I think this is timeless. I think these messages could be helpful and beneficial for you at any time. So if you want to save this episode as like a go-to for when you need some some shakeups, some motivation, some recentering, that's awesome. But we definitely picked these in particular for the energy of what's going on collectively right now at the end of 2020. So, yay. <laughs> We're really excited. <laughs> I know we keep talking about how we're so excited about this one and to give you a heads up on what you can expect thematically. So we're going to be talking about where you can focus your energy right now to get the most value out of the battery power that you have. So we all have a limited amount of energy and this is really a space to guide you in how you can spend that. So we're going to be talking about 
what is in our control, what is not in our control, how we can show up for the season that we're in and not avoid the challenges and really lean into the work that needs to be done through this period of time and then how we can give ourselves back the love that we really are desperate for and how we can take care of ourselves in this moment. It's going to be really fun and Kendall's going to kick it off with a fun reading from (laughs) an entertaining book. Yes. Okay. So I am beginning with a short passage from a book that is called Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps by Kelly Williams Brown. Quick sidebar. This book I read for the first time in college, I think. Me and some of my other friends, we read it as well. And we almost had like an informal like book study with this book. Like this was really kind of one of the first books that I remember reading where I was like really starting to shift into okay, so I'm going to be an adult and like, what the fuck does that mean? And what do I do? And this book, I highly recommend. She's actually come up with an uh, outdated. She's come up with an updated version that has more steps to being an adult. And her steps range from mindset work, emotional boundaries, emotional work to like what you need to have in a kitchen as an adult. So it's really it's funny. And she includes doodles and drawings. And um, she has a hilarious one about toilet paper, which is like really apropos for the pandemic situation. So 10 out of 10 recommend this book. The step that I am sharing with you today. So this is step eight to being an adult. So pretty early on in the process. So this is very important. Her whole first chapter is about getting your mind right. So good mindset shifts to really help you, you know, just function and thrive as an adult. So step eight, remember your circle of concern versus your circle of action. Grief counselor Susan Gelberg, I'm not sure if I'm saying that name right, was the one who told me about this and said it's helpful for people who are experiencing anxiety and anguish, aren't we all? There is a big circle, one that contains all of your concerns, ranging from the super mundane, like why can I never get the stupid wispy sides of my bangs straight, to the overwhelming, like global warming, fuck. But there's a smaller circle inside that circle, which is your circle of action. Inside that circle are the things you can actually affect change on. Work on those things. Those are the things that will help you feel as in control as any one person has the ability to be. So that is step eight for how to be an adult. And she includes a doodle and I can post this on Instagram when we share this episode, but she includes a doodle that it's like a big circle of concern and there's like so many things in there. I'll read you a couple. One thing in her circle of concern is why do all my friends have boyfriends and I don't? Another one is how people treated each other in the middle ages. (laughs) Another one is all snakes can swim and it's like underlined. Then inside that circle of concern, she has her circle of action. So, you know, one thing that's in her circle of action is her house is messy. Another thing that's in her circle of action is I feel guilty for not volunteering. So I picked this passage because, geez Louise, like if we were to make a circle of concern in general, but especially in the year 2020, there would be no boundary. There's so many things to be concerned about. And The message here for me is not that your concerns are invalid, not that you shouldn't be concerned about these things. In fact, I think one of the lessons of 2020 is people waking up to things they weren't concerned about or aware of and should have been. I know that's been a truth for me is being like, oh, I wasn't aware of things that are going on in other people's circle of concern that I really wasn't owning up to or being responsible to. The shift here is, okay, but what are things that you can actually have control over? What are things that you can actually take action to do about? Because sitting around all day, every day, just being concerned about everything doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't actually help anything for you. It doesn't actually help anything for the world. You know, if you're really concerned about an issue going on in your community, 
that's important, but what is actually in your circle of action? Like, what are you going to actually do about it? I think there's like a couple of different takeaways here for me. One takeaway, and both might apply to you, or maybe just one, depending on kind of your energy and where you're at. One takeaway for me is to think about the things that you're concerned about and decide what are actual action items that you can make based off of those concerns so that you actually feel like you're doing something about it. If you're concerned about an issue, but you're not talking about it, you're not sharing anything, you're not, you know, donating to a cause or you're not volunteering, then that issue's not actually going away or being resolved. You're just sitting there concerned about it. So that's like one thing is like, what are some action items that you can actually make to do something about the things that you're concerned about? And then the other lesson is what are some things in your circle of concern that you can just let go of, that there's nothing that you can really do about them? You know, you can acknowledge that you're in, that they're in your circle of concern, but give yourself a little break in recognizing that there might not be anything for you to do in your circle of action right now. One exercise that is coming to mind about this, and we're going to end up talking about journaling practices in a minute. But one journaling exercise that my coach recommended to me, and I believe I actually talked about it on a previous podcast, it's called fear logging. And essentially the idea is that for a bunch of days in a row for, I don't know, a week at a time, every day, sit down and you write out what you're afraid of, all the things that come to mind that you're afraid of. The idea here is that by writing them over and over again, your brain kind of gets bored of it you start to see the holes in the fears and you start to see how being afraid of all of these really random things. Okay. Pre-coaching, I worked in technology risk and risk management. What we would call this like the tail end events, the things that are so unlikely or so infrequent that worrying about them is just not actually helping. The fear log helps you to identify which ones feel most problematic long-term, which ones feel like that you have some control over. Relevant. Which ones feel like, right, it helps guide you to releasing a lot of the other ones. And what I've observed is after the third day of writing that I'm afraid that that my client is going to get frustrated because I had a crazy week and family stuff came up and I was slow to respond to her and like, she's going to get frustrated. She's, she's going to cancel her contract. She's not going to want to work with me <laughs> Like at day three of writing that. And then having her be like, Oh my God, that thing that you taught me, it's amazing. Helps me to put it all into perspective. So yeah, try fear logging. And to add on to that, because I've done this before too, especially if you're someone that you're working on, and this is going to come up in another reading, if you're working on really honoring your feelings and honoring your fears or honoring your anxieties and not trying to just suppress them or ignore them, an exercise like that I can I think can also be helpful, not just for the purpose that Anna described, but also for just acknowledging that they're in the room and not trying to discount them. That's something for me that I've worked on. Like there's been a couple of times where I've literally like I've I've just felt frustration and anger building, building, building. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to write all this down. And I wrote it. I, for me, it was an anger log. And I just wrote all of the things that I was angry about. And in doing that, absolutely, I was able to see like some things that I was angry about. It's like, okay, we, we don't need to be angry about this. Like, it's really okay. But at the same time, too, it's still like honored it in the moment. It still said, hey, this was something you felt. Do we need to keep feeling this way? No. But it it helped in validating my feelings and validating my concerns instead of just trying to shove them away or ignore them. So if that's a that's a problem specific to me. I invite anyone else who is trying to honor their emotions, honor their feelings, maybe who has a history of suppressing their feelings and suppressing the quote unquote bad emotions, which no emotions are bad. I think this is a good practice to not only release them, but before you do that, take that important step of acknowledging that they're there. Yes. And another really fun way to do that, this is an exercise that I offer to clients sometimes, another journaling one, that if you have a topic or a question or a decision that you are going back and forth and back and forth on, the thing that 
it feels like your brain just goes around in circles and you keep having the same arguments and it's causing you a lot of anxiety, I offer that you can actually write out the dialogue between the two different sides of that argument. It is so freaking powerful because as you write this dialogue back and forth, you'll start to see personalities come out and there might be what I call your inner roommate, the annoying person you can't evict that sits there and judges and criticizes and doubts and worries that person set against your higher self who is like, no, but this could be a really fun opportunity. Or what if it did work out writing out the actual dialogue between those two? What I've found is instead of going around in circles and circles, you start to get really clear on which voice you want to be listening to and which voice is trying to protect you, but perhaps not in a way that is serving your overall intentions. So more fun journaling exercises. Man, that was a lot based off of just one paragraph I read from a book. (laughs) Right? We could go in so much detail. But let's go to the second reading. Yes, your poem. Yes, poem number one. So this is from Morgan Harper Nichols, and it's called Let Each Season Teach You. Yes, you have a long way to go. And this is also true. You have already sown good and faithful seeds. You have already started this journey. Keep watering. Keep letting the daylight bring things to life. One day at a time, you've got this. And may you never compare your garden to anyone else's. Have gratitude for how you've already grown. And let every season teach you what it needs to teach you. Whether you are sowing seeds or pulling up old weeds, let this season be what it needs to be. And keep watering those good seeds you have already sown. One seed at a time, one seed at a time, one day at a time. So what I love about this poem, first of all, is that it's a garden metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been doing a lot of work in my own garden metaphor, so it just made me really excited. But the message that I get from it is that each one of us are in a different season right now. There are some people who are hardcore on that struggle bus. Like if you have lost your job or if you are a small business owner and you're dealing with all the PPE loan stuff that's going on, or if you're just a human really stuck on the current political events, whatever it is, there's some people who are really struggling. And there's some people who are doing really awesome right now and who have found 2020 to be a really liberating year. There's ground all in the middle of that. Some people are experiencing both of those things where in some ways it's been a really good year and in some ways it's been a really hard year. What I love about this poem is it says that we should be honoring the fact that our garden looks different than anyone else's and that when we surrender our attachment to having our garden look in a particular way, we have the ability to then lean into faith and take action. So one of the things that I love to do is redefine some of the common jargony words in the coaching industry, one of which is spirituality. And for me, my redefinition of this word is that it is manifestation through action and surrender. And this poem to me really speaks to that. It's like, if you want to have faith in yourself and your own journey, if you want to manifest the things that you have been focusing on and the things that you envision for your future, step one is surrendering. You have to give in to the natural cycles of life and the fact that you don't have full control over what happens, but there is a lot of space where you do have control. If we think back to the last passage and talking about the circle of concern versus for circle of action, like Kendall was mentioning, sometimes we can forget that we have the ability to take action on some of these concerns. So really this poem to me feels like a call to get real with yourself about what is within your control, what is outside of your control, how do you release your attachment to a particular way of appearing or a particular way of accomplishing something and just allow your garden to be the magical green space that it needs to be. Yeah. I think those two worked together so beautifully. (laughs) Yes. All right. Our next one is probably going to be a hit. Well, it's a popular book these days. So this one was also one of my favorite essays in the book. 
to you, Kendall. Okay. So I am reading, it's not going to be the whole chapter or essay. It's just going to be like the first section. So if you want to keep going with this, there is more to this essay. But I am reading the first section from one of the chapters in Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I have a funny relationship to this book. I won't go into too much detail on that right now, but I will just say that Glennon Doyle is a type four. So when I read this book, I was like, specifically the second time, when I read this book the second time, once I had known I was a type four, I was like, wow, this feels like I'm reading my brain (laughs) because (laughs) there is so much she she says in here that I'm like, oh, wow, like, other people do that too. Like it was very, very funny. So I say all that to say that the first section of this essay, I'm like hard relate to this. So this essay is called Deliveries. I am a sensitive, introverted woman, which means that I love humanity, but actual human beings are tricky for me. I love people, but not in person. For example, I would die for you, but not like meet you for coffee. I became a writer so I could stay at home alone in my pajamas, reading and writing about the importance of human connection and community. It is an almost perfect existence, except that every so often, while I'm thinking my thoughts, writing my words, living in my favorite spot, which is deep inside my own head, something stunning happens. A siren like noise tears through my home. I freeze. It takes me a solid minute to understand. The siren is the doorbell. A person is ringing my doorbell. I run out of my office to find my children also stunned, frozen, and waiting for direction about how to respond to this imminent home invasion. We stare at each other, count bodies, and collectively cycle through the five stages of doorbell grief. Stage one, denial. This cannot be happening. All of the people allowed to be in this house are already in this house. Maybe it was the TV. Is the TV on? Step two, anger. Who does this? What kind of boundaryless aggressor rings someone's doorbell in broad daylight? All caps. Stage three, bargaining. Don't move. Don't breathe. Maybe they'll go away. Stage four, depression. Why? Why us? Why anyone? Why is life so hard? Stage five, acceptance. Damn it to hell. You, the little one, we volunteer you. Put on some pants, act normal, and answer the door. It's dramatic, but the door always gets answered. If the kids aren't home, I'll even answer it myself. Is this because I remember that adulting requires door answering? Of course not. I answer the door because of the sliver of hope in my heart that if I open the door, there might be a package waiting for me. A package! When I got sober, I learned that hard feelings are doorbells that interrupt me, send me into a panic, and then leave me with an exciting package. Sobriety is a decision to stop numbing and blaming away hard feelings and to start answering the door. So when I quit drinking, I began allowing my feelings to disturb me. This was scary because I had always assumed that my feelings were so big and powerful that they would stay forever and eventually kill me. But my hard feelings did not stay forever and they did not kill me. Instead, they came and went and afterward I was left with something I didn't have before. That something was self-knowledge. Hard feelings rang my bell and then left me with a package filled with brand spanking new information about myself. This new information was always exactly what I needed to know about myself to take the next step in my life with confidence and creativity. It turned out what I needed most was inside the one place I'd been running from my entire life. Pain. Everything I needed to know next was inside the discomfort of now. As I practiced allowing my hard feelings to come and stay as long as they needed to, I got to know myself. The reward for enduring hard feelings was finding my potential, my purpose, and my people. I am so grateful. I can't imagine a greater tragedy than remaining forever unknown to myself. That would be the ultimate self-abandonment. So I have become unafraid of my own feelings. Now when hard feelings ring the bell, I put on my big girl pants and answer the door. So what I'm getting from this is we can't just like numb out and pretend that that's spiritual growth. (laughs) Yeah. When I read that section, I was also like, oh, I mean, I'm not a type four. So I don't know how it lands differently as a type nine for me. I'm like, it would be really nice if I could get away with not ever answering the doorbell because that feels like confrontation and I really don't (laughs) want to do that. (laughs) The visual of like 
families all across the country just running around with the doorbell rings, like hiding beneath the windows, like crawl, like, you know, army crawling and, you know, like trying to find, oh my God, this happened actually last week. This is actually a really good example of what she's talking about in the story and it involved the door. So that makes it even better. So I'm laughing, but it is actually kind of serious. So I was in the bathroom and I heard Buddy going into my room. And if you listen to last week's episode, you know that if Buddy goes into my room, that means he's going to pee in my room and then I'm going to step in it and I have to clean it up. So I was like panicking. I was like, oh crap, Buddy's in my room. I got to run around and got to go get him. So I like get out of the bathroom and I get Buddy and like Max is all like activated. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? This is so weird. And then I walk towards the front door and I see a human there. There's a human on the other side of the door. My brain immediately just like couldn't handle it. I just was like, there's a human here and I don't know who it is and I don't know what to do. And the dogs were like freaking out. And so my mom wasn't home. My dad was upstairs working. Like he was on, you know, an important business Zoom call. So I'm like knocking on the door and I'm like, dad, there's a human here. I don't know what he's here for. And my dad basically was just like very calmly, just like, I can't deal with that right now. I am on a call and basically go deal with it. (laughs) The guy was like a yard fertilizer guy and he needed like our gates unlocked so he could go fertilize the backyard. So again, it's really not a big deal. But I'm like freaking out because the dogs are there and I don't know who this is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's a human. I don't interact with humans well. I'm like, I just, I don't understand what to do. I was in such a panic because I was like, I feel so pressured to figure this out. I feel so pressured to keep the dog safe. I feel so pressured to like not disappoint my dad upstairs. There's a guy outside. He's waiting for me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm supposed to somehow organize this whole situation. Jokes aside, it was, it triggered a memory from my past that is not pleasant and has caused me a lot of trauma. It's not something that I've really like allowed myself to sit with and unpack. So when stuff like this happens, it is like this big deal. So, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, we unlocked the gates, we figured it out. Like the fertilizer guy was able to fertilize our yard all as well. But I mean, I had like a mini panic attack episode because just like all these feelings were coming from someone freaking ringing the doorbell. And that has been something like reflecting back on it. It's like (sighs) honoring my feelings and honoring like what has happened in the past and how it impacts me now is so important because I know that there is growth. I know that there is healing. I know that there is a reality in the future where someone rings the doorbell and I don't know why they're there and it doesn't cause a panic attack. But you can't just like skip over the middle part of honoring those feelings and healing those feelings and, you know, sitting with that. And again, your anger log, your your fear log, like whatever it is, going to therapy, like these are like big feelings that I'm talking about, but there are big things happening in our world right now. So this is my long-winded way of explaining that this whole doorbell situation like it is such a good allegory for honoring accepting and acknowledging and leaning into and learning from from pain from your past from things that bring you fear anger sadness because there is so much to learn about yourself in diving into those experiences and those feelings yeah and knowing how you want to handle triggers and being prepared so What I think is interesting is when Glennon talked about the moment that the doorbell happens, it's like a surprise to everyone and Mm -hmm. there's no plan. And then they choose the youngest and they're like, you, we decided. Sacrifice. (laughs) Yes. So what I would offer is if you know that the doorbell is going to ring at some point in your life or whatever the trigger is for you. Yeah. The real doorbell or the the metaphorical doorbell. Metaphorical. (laughs) No, both of them. You need a plan for when the doorbell rings. (laughs) You don't have to have a plan about exactly what you're going to do, how you're going to say it, the details of the interaction, but knowing who you want to be and being Mm -hmm. really confident that when you're triggered, you're going to have a playbook for exactly how you're going to behave so that let's say, let's say every time a particular person in your life calls you, you know, shit's going to go to hell this is a really good opportunity to be like, okay, instead of dreading that phone call 
And then as soon as it comes, having all this rush of anxiety and all the things, I'm going to decide now that I have the control to answer or not answer that phone call. I have the ability to set boundaries and say, hey, I really want to be supportive right now, but I don't have space to do this right now. Can we talk tomorrow? Can we talk in an hour? Can we, whatever. Having a game plan for when you know you're going to get triggered is really helpful to allow yourself to feel those hard feelings, but also not get stuck in them and like not let those things control your reaction. I think there's a difference between honoring those feelings and unnecessarily getting stuck in them. Yes. I would say from my experience, I've needed to take that first step of just acknowledging that this is what's going on as someone with a history of not doing that, of of suppressing feelings, suppressing memories, suppressing emotions, in that there is so many next steps to take that are beautiful and allow for this growth and allow for this healing and development and control and autonomy over your boundaries, your what happens after a doorbell rings, real doorbell or metaphorical doorbell. I want to reread a couple of sentences to like kind of wrap this up and I just I want to read them again. This is like the last paragraph of what I read. As I practice allowing my hard feelings to come and stay as long as they needed to, I got to know myself. The reward for enduring hard feelings was finding my potential, my purpose, and my people. I am so grateful. I can't imagine a greater tragedy than remaining forever unknown to myself. That would be the ultimate self-abandonment. So I have become unafraid of my own feelings. Now when hard feelings ring the bell, I put on my big girl pants and I answer the door. And I think, like, especially that last sentence, I think that beautifully represents, like, what Anne and I were talking about of kind of this process to go on in not ignoring, not suppressing your feelings, but then also having a plan of action for what to do so that your boundaries are honored. You have boundaries in the first place. (laughs) We should say that that should be step one. Having boundaries and then honoring your boundaries and then being able to kind of show up in your truth and your autonomy in your relationships, in your life as doorbells continue to ring because doorbells aren't going to go away. Doorbells are going to continue to be a part of our life in, you know, the real sense of real doorbells and then also the metaphorical sense of things that trigger us and things that can upset us and cross our boundaries. So I think that idea of like putting on your big girl pants and answering the door is like really such an act of self-love of protecting yourself and honoring yourself and taking steps forward in growth. I love that. And if we're talking about taking steps forward, kind of a very good lead in to this next passage we've got for y'all. This is an excerpt from the book, How Light Gets In, Writing as a Spiritual Practice. The author is Pat Schneider, and she actually passed away in August, so it's a nice little in-memoriam moment. And this poem is all about what she hopes for writers and what she hopes that writing can be for people. So this is called Blessing for a Writer. May you hear in your own stories the moan of wind around the corners of half-forgotten houses and the silence in rooms you remember. May you hear your own poems, the rhythms of the cosmos, the sun, the moon, and the stars, rising out of the sea and returning to it. May you too pull darkness out of light and light out of darkness. May you hear in your own voice the laughter of water falling over stones. May you hear in your own writing the strangeness, the surprise of mystery, the presence of ancestors, spirits, voices, buried in the cells of your body. May you have the courage to honor your own first language, the music of those whose lives inhabit your own. May you tell the truth and do no harm. May you dare in your own words to touch the broken heart of the world. May your passion for peace and justice be wise. Remember, no one can argue the story. May your study your craft as you would study a new friend or a long-time, much-loved lover. And all the while, lost though you may be in the forest, 
drop your own words on the path like pebbles and write your way home. I'm a big writing fan. I write everything out. I have journals about journaling and lots and lots of spaces that I put thought out on t- into words. This doesn't have to specifically be about words. I just wanted to caveat this, that like this could be really just generally about processing. The message that I hear in this is we all need space to process. We all need space to put the things that rattle around in our heads, especially in this moment where there's a lot of big feelings, a lot of big thoughts. I encourage you to find the space that works for you, whether that's therapy or coaching or writing or artwork or yoga, like all of the above, whatever it is that helps you to process the stories and helps you to get perspective on your stories, do that. Do that right now because this is a season and if you're listening to this in the future and you're in a season like this where there's too much happening to be contained by your conscious brain and Mm. getting it out into the world can be so liberating, so lightening, so clarifying if you allow yourself to just sit in your own mind for too long you're really doing yourself a disservice you have the tools that you need already available to you to begin this process and i think writing is a really powerful place to start that there's so much beauty in being open to it i know that we don't all have equal access to these resources i know i want to say like On the one hand, I totally agree with everything you just said. And I think where we get to go and something that's like really being broken down, especially in online business kind of industries, is providing people with so many more resources, like differentiated resources, so that it's not just, oh, I feel stuck, I go to therapy. Like there's opportunities for coaching, there's opportunities for courses, there's there's free things available. People are coming up with so many different ways to unlock people's potential through different styles of different styles of coaching, different styles of spirituality, you know, all this kind of stuff which is awesome. Layered into that too is like is all of that the scale from something that's free to, you know, expensive therapy is that accessible to everyone right now? Unfortunately, no. And I think a lot of the conversations that we're having in different industries and also as a collective is like, how are we breaking down those barriers to make more of this accessible to everyone? I agree that it's frustrating that a lot of the resources that I would love to see have universal access. Like it's, it's just not where we are right now. I don't know if it's possible to get to a space where it's utopian view of access. But I think the important part is that even if you don't have full access to those big, expensive, or if you don't speak English, well, that might make listening to this podcast hard, but I know that language barriers can be a big part of accessibility. If anyone wants to dive deeper into the frustrating inaccessibility of mental health care, the Patriot Act on Netflix has a really great episode on it. All that to say, most of my biggest breakthroughs, most of my most significant healings have happened with a pen and a piece of paper. I've done some really incredible coaching programs. I've worked with incredible coaches. I've gone to therapy. I've invested in courses that help me with my self-care, my mindset, my self-worth. But at the end of the day, it's really beautiful to know that I can rely on myself and my own intuition to do a lot of the the work, capital W. This passage really just reminds me that when you give yourself true space to process and commit to being vulnerable with yourself, this is a really good place to start. Being vulnerable on a piece of paper is a really good place to start because you know what? If you end up needing to release it, you can burn that shit and no one will ever read it or get rid of your notebooks, recycle them afterwards, whatever it is that makes you feel safe. You can start this work from the beautiful, rich earth that is in your own mind. And speaking of a lot of this work and what happens through it, 
Let's talk about self-love. You want to read the last section? Yeah. So this passage comes from a book called What a Time to Be Alone, which is the Slumflower's Guide to Why You Are Already Enough. And the Slumflower is the like online personality name for this author. And her name is Chidera Egaru. This book If you're a visual person and you really like visually stimulating books, 10 out of 10 recommend this book. I recommend it anyways. But if you are like super into graphic design, this book is so cool. I haven't read a book like this where it's this visual. Actually, as I say that, I now know I have Amanda Seals book and her book is like similarly visual and bright and dynamic. But Chidera's book is just so, uh, it's so good. And It didn't take me too long to read um, because a lot of the book is artwork and it's like word art and very visual, but man, is it powerful. It's such a good book. A lot of it has to do with standing in your truth as your own person, especially outside of relationships. But this was a wonderful little passage that I loved that I thought was going to be super relevant for this time of choosing yourself and just loving the hell out of yourself. So here it goes. Tasting your own magic. Be nice to yourself. Go to Nando's alone. Take walks along the river on your own. Have super long baths and blast your favorite playlist whilst you do so. Stop waiting for someone to give you that unconditional fairy tale love and give it to yourself. Start right now. Unfollow people who give you weird energy. Mute and block people who make you feel uncomfortable for whatever reason. Protect your space and pay no mind to how people may perceive you doing this. You deserve greatness, so give it to yourself. We need to learn to stop feeling so guilty for being kind to ourselves. If you sit around waiting for someone to come and rescue you from yourself, life will pass you by. It ain't going to happen. My favorite part of this is the idea, and Florence Given talks about this too, um, and I think I shared her book on our podcast, and it's funny because they're actually represented by the same group. They both talk about just take yourself out on a date by yourself, and that might look different depending on where you live, especially with COVID. But like I did that once over the summer. I don't go out very often. So it's <laughs> it's very intermediate. So it was a while ago that I did this. But I went to my favorite restaurant by myself. And I didn't even really read. I just sat there and I just ate food by myself. And it was amazing. And it was really liberating too to just be like, no one else wanted to come with me to this restaurant. Cool. Bye. I'm going by myself because I need this. I wanted this. It made me feel good. I didn't have to like worry about, is this person going to like this restaurant? Oh, are we going somewhere wherever? It's like, no, no, this is all about me. And I get to pick every single step of the way of this date. And it was amazing. Oh my goodness. Yes. This sounds like my birthday practice where I just (laughs) do whatever I want solo, all the things that I've been craving to do. And I love that because I think we forget how much we truly need, like deep down. It's really easy to be so focused outward that we forget the inward needs, especially in this moment when there's so much noise coming from outside of ourselves to allow ourselves to to sit with our own minds, our own spirits, and do something that we love and do something that brings us joy for no other reason than it brings me joy Mm -hmm. is so magical and unfortunately so discouraged like we especially as women like we internalize a lot of teachings from all things in society that tell us that we shouldn't prioritize ourselves that we shouldn't put our needs first that boundaries are disrespectful to other people that we need to be available that you know we need to be helpful all these things and you know we're not telling you to like not care for other people and you know not put other people you know prioritize other people in your life but as Florence Given says all the time she says like you are the love of your own life meaning you are the only person with you for your entire life in order to show up for those other people in your life and to show up for society and show up for the world and show up for this new era that we're stepping into like you really got to take care of yourself and take care of your energy protect your energy and it's really an act of liberation for yourself well and what comes to mind for me is also the whole treat yourself as you want others to treat you or as you treat the people you love it can be hard to really wrap your head around how that happens because we're so used to not taking care of ourselves the same way we take care of people we love try this on for a spin. 
if you have a friend who was ashamed of, let's say how you laugh, you're one of those people that has kind of a goofy laugh and your friends are ashamed of that. When you go out, there's this pressure to not laugh or whatever, but wouldn't you rather have a friend who thinks that your quirky laugh is amazing and they try to crack you up all the time because they love it. That's the kind of relationship I want you to have with yourself. This judgment-free, encouraging you to be a hundred percent authentic. Going out to dinner alone is really intimidating because what are other people going to think about me? Where's the judgment going to come from? Like, how should I behave? I feel like this is a real call to live a hundred percent authentic. And, uh, what is that? Is it the, I think it's a Dr. Seuss quote. The people who care. The people who mind don't mind and the people who matter. I think I said it backwards. The people who matter won't mind and the people who mind don't matter. Yeah. There was a couple words I messed up in there, but that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's basically like the people who would shame you or judge you. They're not your people. And that's okay. This is actually something I'm teaching to a lot of resume clients. So I do like a resume redesign process with clients sometimes. And it's funny when they try to strip out all the personality from it. And like one of my clients was struggling because they are very passionate about anti-racism and they've done a lot of work and they volunteer for organizations. It's really important to them, but they felt like they couldn't bring that to their day job because all the expectations about what that means. And I asked them the question, I was like, okay, if you don't put this on your resume and you end up working for someone who is racist, how will you feel? And they're like, well, that would be awful. I would feel like it's like a hostile environment. I'm like, okay, so if you put it on your resume and own it as a piece of your authenticity, then by natural selection, the people who are racist won't pick up your resume. They'll see that you're anti-racist and be like, oh, that's one of those people. It's like, great. Thank you for filtering yourself out of my pool for the future. And to shift that language, it was such a liberating moment for them. They're like, oh, what other stuff is totally non-negotiable for me? And how do I allow myself to show up fully so that I am not compromising my integrity in the job that I'm taking? So know that your whole self is lovable and your whole self is valid and show love to that in every way that you show up. And actually, so that's so funny. I'm going to sneak in a sentence from a sixth reading having to do with your story that you just told. It was from the essay in Untamed that I chose not to read. It's from the chapter called Erica's and Glennon Doyle says, what the world needs is more women who have quit fearing themselves and started trusting themselves. I mean, to like go with your example with this person with their resume, to then extrapolate that to like the collective and society and where we're going, the goal would be one day that it would be expected to see social justice work on your resume. It would be expected to see like, what do you care about? What are you passionate about? Like, how are you trying to make the world a better place? And that we don't have racist people that we're applying to anymore. You know what I mean? Like the more that we honor our truth and we stand up for what we believe in and we choose ourselves and our values and we don't negotiate with those, we don't surrender those to other people. Like I almost see it as like a band. The more we're going to be able to expand as a people and grow because the expectations that we've had, they haven't been working. Like the, the rules that have been in place they suck. We need new, like we need people who have, who have values, who have forward thinking, progressive ideas of like where we can go and what we can do by saying yes to choosing ourselves and not seeing people as worth less than anyone else that starts with you. And just think of where we get to go with that. So I think that's like a really powerful example of trusting yourself it's an act of liberation for you, but it's also an act of liberation for like us as a collective and other people. Yeah. Get real clear on your non-negotiables and live in alignment with that clarity. Yeah. And too, something else that I thought of, and again, Florence Given talks about this. I just, I, I love her and her work and you should absolutely follow her Instagram. But 
if you are in a situation where you're the person making a judgment about someone else, like let's say you're out to dinner and you see a woman having dinner by herself, what does that bring up for you? Like what does, how does that make you feel? Do you see her and you think, wow, good for her. Like that's awesome. I, that's inspiring me to want to do that. Or, and I say this, like I've done this. I continue to do this. I'm continuing to call myself out on these things. Do you look at her and say like, why is she here by herself? Why is she taking up that table by herself? Why is she wearing that? You know, is she waiting for someone? Like if you're concerned about her, turn that mirror around and like look at you and like what is that revealing in you? Is that revealing an insecurity of your own to show up in that way? And that's really another area that you get to grow. Like if there's things that people do in terms of setting their own boundaries, speaking their truth, living by their non-negotiables and and really just authentically expressing themselves if that brings up negative judgments in you that's an opportunity for you to look at yourself and see where you not honoring your own boundaries and not speaking your own truth which just then allows for more growth which allows for more change and allows for more positive connections and self-love and more liberation well said So that is it for this episode. We are so glad to have y'all here with us in this crazy season. And we want to be sure that we are as supportive as we possibly can in this bizarre time that we're sitting in. If you have anything that you want to share, or if you need a pep talk or a friend or some inspiration, whatever it is, let us know hit us up on Instagram because that's where we spend most of our time. We just want to send you as much love and compassion and self-trust as we possibly can in this moment. On that note, we love you. We send you best wishes and we'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to Intuitive Adulting with Anna and Kendall. To hear new episodes, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. If you're feeling extra saucy, leave us a review. For fun extras, more conversation, and to be a member of our Intuitive Adulting family, follow us on Instagram at intuitive.adulting. Catch you in the next episode.